learning how the decisions you make now can impact and transform the rest of your life. The, the decisions that you make today, right now, although they might not seem like they matter, they might not seem like they're that important, the decisions that you make now on a regular basis, I'm talking big decisions like, you know, where you're going to go to college or what you're going to do with your life, all of those things, those, those decisions matter. But more than that, the daily decisions that you make matter. Like, am I going to do what honors my parents? Am I going to do what respects my teacher? Am I going to do what is friendly and nice to my friends that are around me? Am I going to do ultimately what honors God on a regular basis? Or am I going to do something else? And the decisions that we make now affect our future. And we aren't waiting until someday to make a difference. You matter today. That's kind of the main thing that we want to talk about is that we're not waiting for someday. We don't need to get older. We don't need to have more experience. We don't need to have our life together. We can choose today to do what honors God and make a difference now. Now, last week, if you were with us in Daniel chapter 2, we read a really interesting story about King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Say that 20 times fast. Just kidding. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He woke up kind of spooked from his dream. You ever been there? Like you woke up, you're like, Whew. turn on all the lights. You're like, oh, okay. We're good. So he woke up a little spooked, and then he goes, and he's got a bunch of friends that happen to be like magicians or, or sorcerers or fortune tellers on, to some degree. And he goes to them, and he's like, hey, guys, I had a horrible dream. And they're like, oh, no, what was it? And he's like, you tell me. And they're like, what? Ooh, will you make sure everything's muted? Yeah, except for my mic. Cheers. Also, while that distraction is happening, I'm going to turn off the fog machine because... Uh, it's making noise. Um, anyway, so he has this dream, and he's like, uh, you tell me the dream. And they're like, hey, that's not even possible. And they're like, he's like, no, you have to tell me the dream. And after you tell me the dream, you have to tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they're like, uh. And he's like, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. And they're like, okay. And uh, so then they, they leave, and they're like, well, uh, we're all going to die. And so he starts killing people. No joke. He just starts killing them. It's like cutting them into pieces, it tells us. Literally. It tells us they cut them into pieces. And people are kind of stressed out and worried because they can't tell him his dream. And they can't uh, tell him the interpretation. Except for one guy by the name of Daniel. Books named after him. <laughs> Daniel prays. And the God of heaven, the true and living God, reveals to him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he's like, hey, listen, man, I, I know your dream. I know your dream, and I know its interpretation. And Daniel, he interprets the dream, and then what happened is God is honored. God was honored, and Daniel was promoted. God was honored. People are like, whoa, the God that you serve is obviously the real God because he can tell me, literally read my mind, tell me what I dreamed last night, and tell me exactly what it meant. And the dream was a picture. It was this giant statue with the head of gold and uh, shoulders of silver, stomach of, uh, I think, bronze, I think. I can't remember. I'll look in a second. But whatever the case, it was this big statue. And the statue represented kingdoms. Ultimately, all those kingdoms would fall and God would reign supreme. That was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And Daniel gave the interpretation. Now, that story ends and we transition now into chapter 3. And although the story ends, it doesn't really because the story continues in chapter 3. It says this. 
Nebuchadnezzar, same guy that had the dream, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. The idea here, 60 cubits is like 90 feet tall and its width 6 cubits is about 9 feet wide. So imagine this this giant statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. He makes it out of solid gold. Now, we don't know for sure. Some people speculate maybe it's made out of wood and overlaid with gold, or maybe the whole thing was just a big old chunk of solid gold. We don't really know. Whatever the case, giant statue looks like it's covered in gold. And it said, And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word together to uh, the satraps and the administrators and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, all those people that he said came to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It says it over and over. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. We need to know that. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. Everyone say, Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar. had set it up. All right, Nebuchadnezzar had set it up. Then a herald cried out, uh, to you it is commanded. Now he's speaking to all the people. O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and language fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, verse 8, this is important. Therefore... At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king. This is basically, they're going like this. (laughs) To King Nebuchadnezzar. You, O king, the greatest king. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are, he's like, come here, come here. There are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. I'm not going to name any names, but it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them, saying, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, he's like, maybe you didn't hear it the first time. At the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, And you fall down and worship the image which uh, I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? 
You guys understand what's going on? So they set up this giant statue. They say, hey, when the music plays, you got to bow down and worship. So the music plays, everyone bows down and worship. And all of a sudden, there's three dudes that stick out like sore thumbs. They're standing up. And the guy comes like, hey, uh, King, remember that decree you made? Those guys, you see them right there standing up where everybody else is bowing down? Those three guys, they're not doing it. So he calls them together, and he says, okay, maybe you didn't hear it right the first time. We're going to play. Band's going to come back up here. Band's going to close out the set, all right? Neb is giving his sermon. Band's going to come back up here. They're going to close out the, the night. And when they start playing, it's in your best interest to bow down and worship. And if you don't, we will throw you immediately into a burning, fiery furnace. Dun, 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 right? Now listen to their response. They say, if that's the case, verse 16, my bad. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We're going to stop right there. I've titled this message really simple. I won't bow. I won't bow. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now in it. Lord, such a powerful story, such a vivid story. God, we pray that you would reveal your heart in it and help us to understand exactly the truths that are taking place in the story, but also how that applies to our life right here, right now. So God, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and his dream was this giant statue with the head of gold, the shoulders of silver, the stomach of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And each part represented kingdoms uh, that were ultimately going to reign. The top, the first one, was Babylon. The head of gold was represented Babylon. And then we talked last week about what those different uh, pieces represented if you follow history, the different empires that would come to power after each one. Babylon at the time was the reigning superpower. They were, I mean, they were the Toronto Raptors. They were the, like, they were, they won last year. They're still winning. And then the, the idea is that somebody else, like, it was like Golden State Warriors, head of gold, Toronto Raptors, weaker. You didn't expect it. You didn't see it coming. Silver out of nowhere toppled the golden head. That was an amazing illustration. I'm so proud of myself. So, yeah, it keeps going. People are like, no, it's not. All right, so and that's the idea, basically, of what's happening. And now the, the scene ends. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar praises God. He's like, wow, your God is amazing. I can't believe he told me that. Wow. What a, I can't believe it. Scene ends, and you would think, you would expect Nebuchadnezzar to go like, man, if God revealed that to me, I only have a short amount of time as king. I want to make sure that our empire, our reign, however long that is, we're doing it right, we're honoring God, we're living the way that we're supposed to live. What Nebuchadnezzar does instead is he turns and decides, do you know what? That's not going to be our story. We are not just going to be the gold head in this scenario. In fact, I am going to make a statue, perhaps bigger than the one that I saw in my dream, and its entire body is going to be made out of gold. 
And basically, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing in his response is saying that, one, he's not going to surrender to God. He's in rebellion. And he's saying that God is not right. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, is over even the world and the authority of God. His response, what he's doing is he's saying, okay, God, that's nice that you're saying that. It's nice that you're giving us that warning. It's nice that you're saying that I'm the head of gold, but that's not going to be the case. You've got your thought. Let me show you my thought. And what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he is attempting to put himself and his empire and Babylon over even the word of God. He's saying, God, yeah, yeah, you think, you think we're just going to have a short reign. Let me show you this gold statue from head to toe covered in gold saying that we are all now and always going to be the superpower is what Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying. And he's forcing now everyone to bow down and worship himself and Babylon as God. He's saying, God, you are not the true and living God. You had your idea about what life's going to look like. That is nice and all. That's not how it's going to go down. Babylon is here to stay. King Nebuchadnezzar is here to stay. This golden statue is here to stay. And just to show you, I'm going to make everybody in the known world, all nations, all people, all languages, show up to my party, and they're going to bow down to my statue to prove that I am, in fact, the one in charge. But then we're told that three young men from Israel are unwilling to bow down. This threat goes out. He says, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship this thing. When the music plays, everybody's going to bow down. And immediately, I mean, picture the scene. The song starts playing, whatever the song it was, like about the golden statue, whatever worship song they wrote for that moment. They start playing, and everybody just <laughs> starts bowing down. And then I picture it like, you know, like the camera's zooming over people as it... And it's like starting to go into like a, like a drone type footage where it's covering everybody. And then it just like stops at three people like. Just like. And they, 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 pause, they, they pause the music and they're like, hey, do you guys not, do you not hear it? We're supposed to bow down now. Okay, we'll try it again. Ready? Here we go. Bow down, everybody. Bow down. And they stop and they're like. Yep, we, we heard the song, we heard, we heard the idea, but we're not, we're not going to bow down. And they were forced, really, at the threat of death to bow down, and yet these three young men are unwilling to bow down. Now listen, we may not be forced to bow down and worship some false god. That day may never come where somebody like sets up a giant image and says, hey, you have to bow down and worship this thing. But listen, we do have a tendency, like Nebuchadnezzar, to put things over God. We have a tendency to, like Nebuchadnezzar, hear the word of God, hear the plans of God, hear the direction of God, and say, that's nice and all, but I'm actually going to do my own thing and put my plans, my ideas, my goals, my dreams above the word of God. And we tend to make things God-like in our life. So what he is doing is and he's forcing people to worship and we have this tendency to worship things in our life and so kind of the questions i want to ask us from this text is what is our motivation behind what we worship what's our motivation behind what we worship because i think whether we would describe it as worship or not we tend to pledge allegiance in our life to something 
We spend our time, our energy, our money, our focus, you know, our conversations, all of these things towards something. We have a tendency to go after something. So what's the motivation for us when we're choosing what we're going to worship? Now, the, uh, the picture of bowing down, like I, I'm not going to do it. But the picture of bowing down, I thought about doing it, but I'm like, ah, it would take too much time. You have to like watch me try to get back up. Bowing down is like a very, it's like a very vivid picture, isn't it? Imagine this scene. This giant statue is set up, and all these grown men and women, start. the song starts playing, and they all start literally bowing down. They're like, whoa, that's crazy. That's, that's a very vivid scene. And yet, in, in maybe not physically we don't, but so often we will bow down to things that are of way less value than what God has for us. That we'll find ourselves surrendering or serving or giving our time and our attention and all of our energy towards something, not maybe physically bowing down, but, but emotionally or spiritually or, or even mentally bowing down to certain things. So what is our motivation to bow down? We see a few things that we might bow down to. The first thing is the God of feelings. The God of feelings. Now, I like this story. It's really interesting, but we're told that Nebuchadnezzar not only set up this giant statue, but we're also told that he had an amazing band there to play. Again, verse 5, he says, uh, and it says it throughout, but at that other time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery. I don't even know what half these instruments are. In symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image. So Nebuchadnezzar, he, he hires or has the best band, I bet, in all of the land, right? He's like, we've got, you don't understand. Like, this was the equivalent of the Beatles or whoever. I, I don't know. Pink Floyd or a modern-day equivalent is like the Migos. I don't know. Um, that was a joke. But uh, you, <laughs> there's, there's this band that comes up, and they begin to play. They begin to sing, and everybody starts to bow down and worship it. And I was thinking about this and how much music plays a, a factor into our emotional life. How much music plays a factor into our emotional life. The music for them was the cue for the people to bow down, and no doubt the band was really good. right? If King Nebuchadnezzar brought everybody in the whole world together for this one moment, he's like unveiling, I imagine like a sheet over it, he's unveiling the giant golden statue. And at the time the music starts, everyone's going to bow down and worship. I got to imagine, at least to some degree, the band was probably pretty good. And music in this moment can stir up all sorts of feelings in us. I'm sure we can relate. If you listen to depressing music, chances are you find yourself depressed. Right? There's a reality. There's sometimes you, you play happy music, and a lot of times you find yourself just a little bit happier. And sometimes, like Hannah and I have honestly had conversations where she'll like, I'll come home from work, or I'll come home from a drive, and she'll be like, you were listening to weird music, weren't you? And like you can just tell sometimes because music so often plays a part in how we feel. It, it stirs something in us. It, it causes something in us. And those feelings, whether it's from music or from anything else that stir feelings in us, feelings can dictate our actions and our priorities. And i got to imagine King Nebuchadnezzar in this moment wasn't by accident that he brought this amazing band in and revealed this big golden statue because he wanted to create a moment where everybody all of a sudden hearing the band, 
perhaps some of them never heard music like this before. They're seeing this golden statue. They're watching everybody around them begin to bow down. And something inside of them, I'm sure, is stirring up. Oh, man, I feel like i got to bow down. I feel like i got to worship this thing. I feel like I'm supposed to behave this way. And perhaps what is most important to us all stems from our feelings. We feel a certain way, we feel happy, or we feel sad, or we feel motivated, or we feel sluggish, or whatever it is. And what is most important to us is dictated by our feelings. Now, let me tell you, feelings by themselves are not bad. It's important you understand that. God created feelings. It wasn't an accident when God gave you feelings. He was like, oh, I wasn't supposed to put that part in there. They're just supposed to be robots and feel nothing. No, no, God wanted us to have, have feelings of love, have feelings of joy, even feelings of anger and hurt and frustration because oftentimes anger and frustration causes action. And if, if it's towards the right thing, that's why the Bible says be angry and don't sin because there's certain things that should stir up anger in us to cause us to want to act and change the things that we see. Those are good things. Feelings are a good thing. But when our feelings are leading us to wrong things, that is when it becomes a bad thing. And the feelings that they were trying to create in this moment was to worship a God, a false God, a God that was in the face of the true and living God. Feelings aren't bad by themselves, but, but a dependency on them or, or when they lead us into wrong things, that's not good. That's why we want to understand, especially in this context, where we're here and we're in church and we're worshiping God through music because we do that. Music by itself is not worship. Worship is a condition of the heart. Worship is an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And so when we call the music that we play before and after service worship, it is an expression of worship. It's not all of worship. Worship is a heart posture. Worship is a decision. And our worship is based upon knowledge and understanding and experience from what God has done for us. The reason that we worship, that we can praise God on the mountain and we can praise God when the mountain's in our way is because we've experienced life, maybe some of us in great degrees, some of us in small degrees, that God is a good God. He is a faithful God. He's a consistent God. He's always there for us no matter what our season is like. And so we are choosing mentally and in our heart to worship God because he's worthy of it. And one of the things we have to be careful of, even in this setting, is that we worship just because our feelings are there. Sometimes we'll be in a setting like this where the lights are down, the fog machine's there, the cool new screen is going, the band is just sounding on point, like the harmonies and the drums and everything is just perfect, and you get goosebumps, and all of a sudden you're like, now I'm worshiping because I'm feeling it. No, 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 worship is not a feeling. And it's because what happens if we associate worship with a feeling, then if we're not in a setting that we like, or if it's not a song that we like, or if it's a season of difficulty, or if we're in an unfamiliar place, we'll find ourselves not worshiping because we're not feeling it. That's why you'll hear people say like, ah, I didn't really like the worship this morning. Or ah, I didn't like the worship tonight. It wasn't, they didn't play my favorite songs. The problem is not the worship. The problem is the heart, <laughs> because the heart, an understanding of God allows you to go, I, I don't care if it's my favorite song or not, I'm going to choose to worship God because God is worth my worship. 
But I got to believe that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to stir up some sort of feelings. And if we worship the God of feelings, we will be led in the wrong direction. Second point, second thought is the God of popularity. First is the God of feelings, that our feelings dictate our actions. The second is the God of popularity. I would be terrified if I was in this scene. Honestly, if I can be honest, I don't know what I would do. I kind of get overwhelmed a little bit when a lot of people are doing the same thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's sometimes I watch this really random, like, you know, on YouTube or Instagram, sometimes it's like clickbait stuff. You see something, you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then you end up watching it, and you're like, that was such a waste of my time. And yet here I am 45 minutes later with this information. Anyways, I'm going to share it with you because I had to watch it. I watched this little video of, of um, this person going to a doctor's office. And uh, she got into the doctor's office, and she sat down. Everybody in the waiting room was sitting down. And then all of a sudden, a bell played, and everybody in the waiting room stood up and then sat back down. And she was, like, sitting in, like, that was weird. And then the bell rang again. Everybody in the waiting room stood up and sat back down. And after, like, the third or fourth time of hearing the bell and standing up and sitting down, she, for no reason whatsoever, having nobody came in and said, like, hey, Listen, when the bell goes off, you have to stand up and sit back down. If not, your chair will explode. Like, there was no explanation. The bell rang. The lady, just like with everybody else, stood up and sat back down. And then the the video goes on. This is way too much information. But everybody leaves. She's the only one left. The bell rings. She stands up, sits back down. Then a new person walks into the waiting room that doesn't know this thing, and she starts it over again. So she stands up. The person's like, what are you doing? And she literally says, like, I'm not sure, but we're supposed to stand up and sit back down when the bell rings. <laughs> and the thing starts over again. I don't know if it was real or not. It was, like I said, it was on Instagram, and it was just one of those things, you know. Anyways, um, sometimes when, when life happens like that, when everybody's doing something, it's easy to get caught up in something. So here's the scene. The band plays, and immediately we're told everybody begins to bow down. Everyone begins to bow down. Because that was what we were supposed to do. And I think sometimes, sometimes what we make the most important to us, the God in our life, the king in our life, is based on what other people do. Our worship is driven by what other people do. We, 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 uh, uh, whether it's our friends, that's the most important thing, or it's our future, that's the most important thing, our career, our school, like that's what our life is all about, or it's all about sports, or it's all about video games, or it's all about this, that, and the other. What, has it, what we have a tendency to do is make what is popular the most important thing in our life. And I do this not because this is what I enjoy doing, not because I'm a free-thinking individual and I'm going to go in the direction I want to go, but because the people around us or the people that we see or the people that we follow, this is what they do, therefore this is what I'm going to do. And we can have a tendency to follow and even worship the God of popularity just because everybody else is doing it, that's what I'm going to do. So that, that's, that's how people act, that's how people interact, that's how people make their decisions, that's where people are going on a Friday night, that's what people are talking about, that's what people are posting about, this is what matters, this is what's important, this is what's popular, therefore that is what I'm going to do. And we can bow down, we, we can lay down before the God of popularity. And when everyone is bowing down to the God of fame or fortune or feelings, it's easy to follow that the God of popularity. 
Thirdly, we could also worship the God of convenience. The God of convenience. Now, this story, again, is is just remarkable. The, The music plays, they all begin to bow down. And not only is everybody doing it, not only is in the moment does it seem like it's the right thing to do, but also there's kind of a serious threat if you don't do it. Right, like if you don't remember, King Nebuchadnezzar at the very beginning said, "Like, hey guys, um, this is my band. They're amazing. We flew them in last night. They're the best band around. They're gonna play a great song. When they start singing, like, just no big deal. Just like bow down to the golden image. That would be great. And then also, if you don't, I'm gonna throw you in a fiery furnace. So, so the idea here is not only, not only was it." Was it feeling-based, driven? Not only was it what everyone was doing, but also, if you don't, you die. So it's kind of a big deal that you do it. And then yet, we're told of these three characters in the middle of this, deciding that they're not going to bow down. They're they're not going to worship. Now, let me tell you, the convenient thing to do. Like, let's talk about if you want to wake up tomorrow morning for these characters, the convenient thing to do is bow down, right? And I'm, man, they could have bowed down. They could have been down there and been like, hey, guys, um, I don't really, I'm not really worshiping this God right now. Um, I just, I just have a thing about flames and fire. And uh, I don't think that's the way I want to go. So just so you guys know, um, I'm just doing this so we can like keep living. Cool? All right. We're all in agreement. Great. Let's just keep singing this weird song, and then we can, uh, then we can move on. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, so anyways... Right, so it was convenient for them to not worship and bow down, and yet in this moment they make a decision that they are not going to worship even though it's inconvenient for them. And I think for us, oftentimes, it can be very easy for us to do what everybody else is doing, to, to not follow God, to not do the right thing, because, listen, it probably is more convenient for you to not be a follower of Jesus. In our world today, in our culture today, in our schools today, in some of our families today, it would be more convenient if you didn't follow after Jesus. It'd be easier. Maybe you wouldn't get made fun of. You wouldn't have to worry so much about your witness or or what is right and what is wrong. Uh, You wouldn't have, you would just... It's just convenient. I'm just doing my thing. I'm living my life. I look like everybody else. I'm acting like everybody else. I'm going in the same direction as everybody else. Nobody asks me anything about it. Nobody says, why are you listening to that song? Or why don't you listen to that song? Or why aren't you coming to the Friday or the party tonight? Or why aren't you doing this? Or whatever it is. There would be none of that if we just didn't follow God. It would be convenient to not. And some of us, we worship the God of convenience. Or just, it is more convenient for me to not be all in for God. It is more convenient to me to, to bow down like everybody else than it would be for me to surrender my life to God. Some people worship this God of convenience. Then the final God. I call, I'm calling this the God of gods. The final God. Worship team, you guys can come up here. I want to read these last couple verses to you. 
says this, chapter 3, again, this is their response. They have every opportunity to bow down. They have every opportunity. To, it's convenient. It's what everybody else is doing. In the moment, it feels right. It seems right. This is what we're going to do. And then their response, this is so important. If you have a highlighter or if you have the app, highlight this first. It says this, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They say, listen, we are not going to bow down because we worship the God of gods, the true and living God. What actually Nebuchadnezzar would call, you can look back at it in chapter 2. Um, he says uh, uh, in verse... 47 of chapter 2, it says, The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, and he made him ruler, uh, excuse me, the Lord of kings and a, a revealer of secrets since you could reveal the secret. He says, Your God is the God of gods. The God of the Bible is the true and living God. The, the one that we can know through Jesus Christ who came as God came, wrapped himself in humanity, became a human being for us, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death on a cross for my sake and for your sake, that if we would just believe in him, we would have right standing with God. We'd have forgiveness of sins. We would have access to the abundant life. We would have access to eternal life in Christ Jesus. That is the God of gods. And he says, we're not going to bow down to your God because we worship the God of gods. And he tells us three things why the God of gods is worthy of or, or is worth their worship. First is because he's worthy. I love it. He says, our God is able to deliver us. In other words, what, what they're saying is, Nebuchadnezzar, it's like great and all that you think you're like this big powerful dude and you made this big giant golden statue and like that's super cool for you, man. Like, good job. But just so you know, your threats are empty because our God is able to deliver us. Your threats hold no power over us because our God is actually the one in power. He's worthy of our worship because he is the God of gods. He is able to deliver us. Not only is he worthy of their worship, he is also a good God. He says, you, our God is able, but then also says, and he will deliver us. In other words, the God that we worship, one, he's capable of dealing with it, but also he's a good God and he will deal with it. He's going to show up. We're not afraid. Threaten us all day long. Sure, throw us in the fiery furnace. Do whatever you want to us. But we serve a good God. Not only is he able to deliver us, but he will deliver us. But then he also tells us that he is, not only is he worthy, not only is he good, but he's also in control. The second part of this verse, it, it kind of freaks me out a little, a little bit. Verse 18. They say, God is able to deliver us. He will deliver us. And then he says, but if not, if not, what do you mean if not? Like, I'm sure whatever one of these guys is talking, the other guys are like, did he just say if not? I thought, I thought the whole point of us standing up here and making this whole deal is because our God is able and he will. Like, that was the point. He just said, if not. He says, and even if not, I love it. He says, even if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, 
nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Basically, what they're saying in that moment is not only is God able, meaning he's powerful, not only is God uh, uh, willing because he's good, but if he doesn't, we trust that our God is in control. We trust that whatever outcome God chooses to allow to happen, we recognize that because our God is able and because our God is good, whatever he does is the right thing for him to do. And so if in this moment, the best thing for us and the best thing for the world and the best thing for this moment is for him to deliver us, absolutely he will. But if God has something else that we don't understand, God has a plan and a perspective that we don't see, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't worship you out of convenience or feeling or because everybody else is doing it. We worship our God because he is in control. And we're going to choose to not bow down to your God. And we're going to choose to stand with our God no matter the outcome, no matter what happens. And let me challenge you guys today. We don't know what happens. Tomorrow, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, this verse, these verses can apply to our life like right now because we have a Category 4 hurricane coming to knock on our front door. And we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea. But we do know that God is able. We do know that God is willing. And we do know that God's in control. And whatever outcome he decides to see fit in our life, whether it be the hurricane or whether it be the college you go to or the relationship you have or the season of life or whether or not your grandma gets healed or whether or not you have this thing or whether or not that, whatever it is, we need to learn to trust God that he is in control even when we can't see what's happening. They're saying we are going to stand with our God no matter what. You're going to have seasons in your life. You're going to have moments in your life where it will be way easier. It will feel right. And it'll be what everybody else is doing to bow down and worship other gods. Sometimes it will seem like God is not willing. Sometimes it'll seem like maybe God isn't able. Other times it'll seem like God has completely lost control. Let me tell you, God is able. He's willing. He's in control. And he's always worth standing with and standing for. We're going to see next week the outcome of the story. Some of you, most of you know the outcome of the story. But we know regardless of the outcome of the story, God is able, God is willing, and God is in control. Trust him. Place your faith in him. Place your confidence in him. Place your feelings with him. Place the, what everybody else is doing and what you're thinking and the pressure that you're feeling, give it to him. Place convenience, forget about convenience. We, we want to we live out calling. <laughs> forget about what's, what's easy. Forget about what comes naturally. Forget about what, what, yeah, this is just convenient for me. Forget about that. Great people never lived in convenience. They always walked in calling. Right. Saying, I'm going to step out and do what God wants me to do, regardless of how I feel or what's convenient in this moment. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and the worship team's going to close us out.